Welcome to this week's episode of The Weekly. I am on another Zoom call with one A.A. Ron Markham. How are you, sir? I am doing quite well. I'm glad to, glad to be here. Glad hopefully this will work as opposed to the, the last one we, you and I attempted. Yeah, yeah. I think we've, um, one, of the, one of the benefits of this, this time is it's forced us to kind of learn some technology. Maybe us is too strong. Maybe just me. It's forced me to, to learn some new technology that sometimes I'm kind of grumpy about, but it's all good. Works out. What you up to today? Uh, just following up with uh, some members, reaching out, reaching out to a few people. Um, try to encourage a, one of some of our friends in in Kenya and um, talk with them for a little bit. And um, gonna read some scripture and plan some um, just plan some stuff upcoming for the for the church. Love it. What about yourself? Oh, doing a little sermon prep this morning and. Uh, Spend a little time with the kids this afternoon, just finishing eating sandwiches with them. So um, I think this afternoon I'm going to do a little bit of reading and prep for some things upcoming as well. So make a few phone calls as well. So yeah, man. Um, so uh, this past Sunday um, we, we took our kind of second stop in Nahum, Nahum chapter one, verses nine through 15. And then the sermon, um, just by way of summary, what I said was that the Lord was making a promise uh, to the people of Judah that he would make an end to their enemies. And um, he, he's holding out a promise. This is exactly what I'm going to do. And in the meantime, Judah is to patiently wait and keep feasts. And we are like Judah in some ways in that God has made promises for us about what he is going to do. At the end of the story, there, there's a happy ending out in front of us. And in the meantime, we are to patiently wait and keep our feasts. Um, our feasts being kind of broadly defined as those practices which um, um, express obedience to God, uh, cultivate joy, cultivate hope, and then help us to just to re-narrate the world, help us to reframe all that we're experiencing and doing and kind of the grander story of, of God's redemption of all things through Christ. Um, so that was a sermon. And uh, th- there were a couple of questions uh, that we need to address kind of in light of the things that have been said. So the first question that we received was this, what happened to the toy room? So speaking of the toy room, my, um, uh, the, over my shoulder in the video, what used to be our playroom, we turned into a kind of a library office study area. Um, Emily and I have done so since we're working from home now, when we got some extra time on our hands, we figured why not go ahead and get rid of the, toy room, put the toys down in the basement and the kids playroom and uh, kids bedroom rather and have an office. So that's the answer to that very burning question. Yeah, that's great. My, my wife made the same point. She was like, it looks different in the background. It does. And if it's in the back room again, it will look even, even more different because now we have a rug in that toy room or formerly the toy room. Now the library slash office. So every house needs a, every house needs a library slash office, right? For sure. I don't know if we'll ever have that in our house, but it would be great. Ideally, yeah. Um, <laughs> something I've loved about it is the kids have just like, Jude, you know, is reading now. And he's old enough to read. He just stands in front of the bookshelf and looks. And I'm just like, yes, like, yes. Any of these books you can pick up and read at any time. Um, 
So that's the answer to that question. Uh, the second thing that we got, not a question, but a comment was this, and I, I could not agree more with what this person said. They said, when it's safe to gather again, we should have the greatest, biggest TCGS Easter feast, especially if we are unable to gather on Easter. And to that, I say, here, here, three cheers. Yes, yes, yes. Let's do it. We need to have, we need to have a massive party celebrating being together, celebrating worshiping Christ together. Um, I've always been challenged by that, uh, especially from, from Michael Boyer, one of the missionaries sent out from TTC uh, in Ireland. He would always talk about we should be the ones throwing the biggest, biggest feasts, biggest parties, mm. and biggest festivals just because we, our hope is in the, is in the greatest one um, mm. and we get to worship him. So I was, I'm totally in. Mm. Let's do it. We'll put it on the calendar. I can make some pigs in a blanket. Oh, heck yeah. At this point, I'm willing to eat pigs in a blanket if it means I can get to be with other people. <laughs> pigs in a blanket are pretty underrated. Uh, I'm in favor of all kinds of hot dogs and corn dogs. Yeah, it's about the only one of the only few things I can make well. So, yeah, um, mac and cheese? No, craft mac and cheese? Craft, uh, I could probably do, but regular mac and cheese, I would need my wife to do it with me. Yeah, I hear you. All right, so um, yeah, we could not agree more. Well, we want to be the people that throw the biggest, the best parties, like rejoicing in, in Jesus, rejoicing in King Jesus. Uh, but there's there's two questions more specifically related to. Um, the, the sermon on Sunday. The first question is, why don't we do the feasts given to Israel any longer? Um, the Lord gave in Leviticus 23, he gives these feasts to the people of Israel. And um, uh, yeah, so why don't we take these feasts? What would you say to that, Aaron? I think my uh, initial thoughts are um, to, to go to uh, Matthew chapter, Matthew 5 and 6, but Matthew 5, uh, verses 17 through 20, probably most, most explicitly that the, the Old Testament feasts and, and rituals have been fulfilled in Christ. So he, he says they're, they're not abolished, so they're not just you know cut off, don't do them, they were meaningless, we're moving on to the next thing, but they have been fulfilled. Um, so we don't, we don't just forget them and, and move on. We, we see their significance, we see how Christ has fulfilled it. Um, but... Um, the, the, the feasts, the rituals have been fulfilled in Christ and in what he's done. And first Corinthians, uh, five, chapter five, verse seven, um, seven and eight, you're going to talk about Jesus being the Passover lamb, which one of those, one of those, um, you know, great feasts is, is the feast, the, the, the Passover feast. Um, but Jesus is now the Passover lamb. Um, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter seven, really, you go read most of Hebrews and kind of wrestle through a lot of this question. Um, but Hebrews seven verses 23 through 28, we, we draw near to God through Jesus. Um, the one always making intercession for us. Um, it says that Jesus is the holy, innocent, unstained, sinless, exalted high priest. Um, he did not atone for his own sins, but died once and for all when he offered himself up, the son has been made perfect. And so, Really, I think a lot of the reasons we don't do feasts is because we have Jesus. Um, I'd love to hear what you what you think. Yeah, yeah. So you're making a really important point that the the feasts themselves are kind of couched within this broader question of the relationship between the old covenant and the new covenant. Um, the old covenant being that covenant that God made with the people of Israel in a very particular place and time, and then the new covenant being. Well, the, the new covenant that came in the work of Christ, um, 
through Jesus. Um, I think the, the pointing out Matthew 5 is, is really, really important, and it's really um, uh, kind of a huge moment in uh, redemptive history for Jesus to come on the scene and say that he has now fulfilled the law or, or kind of fulfilled all of those uh, practices that were uh, bound up in and kind of contingent on the, existent of the existence of the old covenant. Jesus has fulfilled all of that because he's instituting something new. Um, the illustration that I've, I've, I like to think about is that uh, when you kind of distinguish between abolishing and fulfilling, um, it's like if you give a command to one of your children, like you tell your kids to go you know, clean one of their rooms. Um, once they clean that room, that, that command has been fulfilled. And in a sense, it goes away. It's no longer hanging over them. It's been, it's been completed, fulfilled. Um, and that is different than abolishing it. Abolishing the command would be, you know, in the, while they're in the middle of cleaning the room, it's not yet done. You walk in and you say, forget it. Just I changed my mind. You don't need to clean your room anymore. Um, so the, the room is still left dirty. Um, you've just kind of revoked the command. That's the difference between abolishing and fulfilling. So Jesus has brought to completion all of, all of that, which the old covenant was kind of building towards and moving towards. And the point you made from first Corinthians five is like Jesus, Jesus fulfills. He is the completion of what the Passover lamb was always intended to do, what, what it always pointed to and what it always was intended to do. Jesus completes it. And it is therefore no longer binding on us. That's something that's been completed. Mm. Mm, that's good. And you also mentioned um, to me before we recorded just Colossians two and yeah. Romans fourteen. What did, what were you seeing? What were you seeing in those passages? Yeah. Um, so let me adjust my. Aaron just texted me and said that my microphone might be. Was it making weird noises? It was just doing a little, doing a little rustling with the yeah. That that'll be perfect, right there. Perfect, cool. Yeah. So Colossians two, um, verses sixteen and seventeen. Paul says, "Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ." So, not only have they been fulfilled in Jesus, uh, in in the sense that the old covenant is now. Uh, obsolete because of the coming of the new covenant, but they're they're also fulfilled in that they were the they were the shadow, they were the picture that anticipated and pointed to the substance. Who is who is Jesus? Which that's so that's so good. That's really helpful. Um, and so Paul also says elsewhere. We flip to Romans fourteen um, because Christ is the the fulfillment, the the substance to the shadow. He says. Um, one person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike each one should be fully convinced in his own mind the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord the one who eats eats in honor of the Lord uh, since he gives thanks to God while the one who abstains abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives, gives thanks to God for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself uh, then he goes on to say why do you pass judgment on your brother or why do you despise your brother for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God Paul's saying there that um, particularly for Jewish believers who um, Jewish Christians who these feasts were such a meaningful part of their worship of, of Yahweh. Um, if they, they can persist in them, if they, if they so desire, they can continue to, to do these feasts uh, so long as they recognize that it's not a, they're not saved by them. They're not 
given um, you know deeper and greater access into the heart and life of God through them. Um, so long as they don't see themselves as kind of operating in a different plane or on a different tier or level as other Christians um, by using these feasts. And you're also free to abstain from them. You're also free to not embrace these feasts. So um, I guess I'm kind of getting long-winded and kind of rambling now, but yeah, we don't do these feasts any longer because they were completed in Christ. That's good. I like, I like the Colossians 2 language that really the, the feasts are a shadow and really Christ is the reality. Christ is, is the true one that we look to. Um, so we, we, we take Christ, um, which I think is, I think is so good. <clears throat> yeah, that's really good. Um, but what about the Lord's Supper? Um, why didn't Trevor mention the Lord's Supper? Isn't that kind of a, a literal feast that we are given to practice? Maybe a follow-up mm. question to that. Um, yeah, that's good. I think we, you know, we, we see the Lord's Supper first instituted, you know, kind of on the eve of, of Christ's death, which is right during the Passover celebration, um, you know, Passover first starting in, in Exodus chapter 12. Um, and so then on the eve of his death, he institutes this new fellowship meal that we, we still observe today. And I think we, we, we continue to observe the Lord's Supper because, because Christ is the one who, who instituted it and he, and he gave it to us and he, he gave it to us very clearly. Um, all three of the synoptic gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that, that kind of have a, a kind of a similar take or, you know, kind of different points of view on Jesus' life, but, but have some unity between them you know, are pretty clear on, on Jesus instituting in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22. Um, we even maybe get, you know, kind of an appearance of the Lord's Supper in, in John 13. Um, but I think we, we remember the Lord's death and resurrection. Um, we, we long for kind of his, his glorious return in the, in the taking of the bread and the, um, the taking of, of the juice or the wine as, as his body and, and his blood. Um, and I think, you know, first Corinthians 11 also is also has it. So, you know, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, um, and you know, it's, it's verses 23 through 29, but, but 26 verse 26 and first Corinthians 11 makes it, makes it clear that, that this will only happen until the return of Christ. And then it's, you know, we feast with him then mm-hmm. then we're with him. Um, so it's, it's something we do until, until Christ returns. Um, mm-hmm that Christ has, has given for us. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And and kind of stepping back and kind of considering the relationship between the old and the new covenants again, um, even though the old covenant has been fulfilled and completed in Christ and it's no longer, it's, it's not binding on Christians because we belong to a new covenant. There are going to be some similarities between the old covenant and the new covenant um, by virtue of the fact that, well, they, they, they've both been initiated by the same God. So there's, there's the same God is behind both of them. Um, and uh, there's, there's going to be continuity and discontinuity. And I think one of those places that we have continuity is um, one of those places we have discontinuity is in, you know, we don't, we don't have to, we don't have to observe the feast of booths, for instance, but one of those places where there's continuity is that we, we have been given um, a feast that maybe in its own way, um, uh, also kind of sums up the other feasts and in, in, in its own way, you know, kind of specifically seems to be given to us as a, 
like a new Passover feast. Um, in Luke 22, um, Jesus at the institution of the Lord's Supper, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, a Passover meal that they're eating together. And Jesus refers to it as a Passover meal and says at this Passover meal, um, some of the things that have been mentioned, you know, it takes the body, says, uh, takes the, the bread rather, says this represents my body. Uh, do this in remembrance of me. The cup that is poured out for you, he says, is the new covenant in my blood. And so it seems like Jesus is very purposefully, intentionally kind of reinterpreting the Passover meal and um, giving, it, giving it kind of a fuller, deeper meaning uh, in light of what he's doing um, as, a, as kind of the feast of the new covenant. So, does that make sense? Mm, yeah, that's really good. I think we, um, you also see again, Hebrews is a, is a great place to go that, um, you know, Jesus is, is the Passover lamb as we talked about in first Corinthians five, but then, you know, he was, he was sacrificed and he ushers in the new covenant, you know, Jeremiah 31 is quoted in Hebrews chapter eight and then Hebrews, um, nine, you know, essentially is Jesus is a sacrifice once and for all time you know there's no other no other sacrifice needed so that is now the sacrifice we get to remember um, mm. with the lord's supper mm. that's good now when, on on sunday and when i was teaching and i talked about how our parallel situation with uh with the inhabitants of judah the time of nahum's prophecy um i said the command for us was uh similar that we are to be patient and wait for the lord to um destroy our the, the last enemy which is death um, and in the meantime as we wait we are to keep our feasts and what i said were the feasts were practices like um glad-hearted prayer bible reading family worship um uh i even mentioned considering the lilies as a, as a as a practice as a kind of feast quote unquote but i did not explicitly mention the lord's supper in that and um it kind of occurred to me after the fact that I really should have mentioned the Lord's Supper um, as one of those mm. feasts. And, and the reason that I didn't mention the Lord's Supper on Sunday as uh, kind of the new covenant feast is because I wanted to emphasize those things that we could do present tense. Um, the fact that we are all quarantined and like self-isolated and in our isolation chambers, you know, all across Greer, Taylor's and, and the upstate. Um, so that's the reason that I didn't mention the Lord's Supper there uh, on Sunday, though I, I wish I would have. I should have said all of the things that I just said on Sunday during that teaching. Um, mm. But it, I, I did want to emphasize those things that we can do even apart from one another. Um, and so maybe a follow-up question to that is, um, why can't we take the Lord's Supper during our quarantining? Um, mm. Why can we not? Why not include the Lord's Supper? in our living room liturgy. If someone were to ask that, Aaron, what would you say? I think that we, we would acknowledge that this is, this would be a conviction for the, for the church at Greer station, but that the Lord's supper as institute, as instituted by him is, is to be done when, when we gather as often as we gather, um, is, is, is instituted for the church more than it is for, uh, an individual, um, you know, Donald Whitney will talk about kind of personal spiritual disciplines and corporate spiritual disciplines, just as, um, so, you know, one of, one of those kind of clearly is, is the Lord's supper is, is not, is not meant 
um, ideally uh, for for just an individual, you know, at their house, kind of you know on their own, um, because it's a it's a it's a um, something that has been given for the sake of the church when the when the church gathers um, to remember what Christ has done uh, together. Um, so yeah, I think I would I would say it's you know it's very much a, a something given to to the church. Yeah. Um, more so than given to an individual. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, because there's there's both a we, we always say it looks backwards, outwards, and forwards. Um, you know, backwards and and Aaron, you've already hit on some of these like backwards in that it's looking to Jesus's death for us on the cross. You know, Jesus's blood and and body being broken for us. Um, it looks forward to well when the Lord's supper stops and we begin the marriage supper of the Lamb. Um, but it also looks outwards because uh, we we are taking this as a church family. We are taking this as a people who have been gathered together under the blood of Christ. Um, so there's a there is a horizontal kind of communal element to it, which is why some traditions call it communion because it's about communing with God and communing with God's people. Mm. And so when we're apart um, in the way that we are, it's it's. Um, you know, again, this is a convictional thing. We're not saying that churches who do take the Lord's Supper during this time are wrong by any stretch of the imagination. But for us, it just feels like it taking it apart kind of in some ways cuts at the root of its meaning, you know, kind of at, at the heart of what it is intended to convey is our togetherness and we can't be together. So um, it, it seems like to us, it doesn't make a lot of sense to take communion apart. Um, but then I suppose you could you could ask this follow up question, and I'll I'll pitch it to you before you pitch it to me. Um, what about situations where there's someone who is uh, homebound, like a like a homebound um, elderly member of a church? Does that mean then that they can never take communion? Yeah, that's a great question. I I think there there is a difference in a. Uh, permanent situation versus a temporary situation that we would try to be, be flexible, be biblical, be honoring to the Lord. And so I think that, I think that we would hold that, you know, if, if one of our members was homebound, we'd be, we'd be more than happy to, to take the, you know, we, we took the supper on a Sunday, maybe that afternoon or, you know, that evening or the Monday or whatever, go and, and kind of do likewise with the, with someone who is shut in or you know, kind you know, of on a more permanent basis. I, uh, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, keep going. No, no. What, what were you going to say? Um, no, go, go ahead. I was, it was going to, it was going to derail us. Okay. Um, but we would, uh, we would, we would very much be willing to, to think through that and ponder that. But, and so we, you know, we might do the same as a church, you know, if we're, you know, kind of Lord, unwilling we we hope the lord wills differently but if you know six months from now we're we're still facing quarantine and not gathered how we want we we may we may want to revisit that um but but for this situation now you know where we're kind of in a temporary state you know much as you know my wife didn't come to church for you know wasn't planning to come to church for four or five weeks because she had just had a newborn you know it's it's okay for her to kind of pass on the, on the Lord's supper in the, in that season. And then, and then when she comes back to join, participate, be all in, um, there, there's kind of a difference in a, in a permanent situation in a, in a temporary situation, which as of now, I think we, we hope we find ourselves in a temporary situation. 
Um, yeah. That's our, that's kind of our prayer. And, and then to, to whoever the comment, whoever made the comment that when we come back together, let's take a feast and let's, and let's celebrate the Lord's supper and it'll really maybe have a newfound meaning. And, um, and we can just delight in, in that being together and, and getting to participate uh, together. Man, that's really good. And a good note to end on. Yeah. Uh, really look forward to being back together as a church. And like Aaron said, Lord willing, our time apart is only a brief, um, couple of weeks and um lord willing it, it will not extend much longer than it is now and in the meantime you know may it really kind of create in us a longing to be reunited and a longing to take the lord's supper together again and to just be with one another um yeah so uh hope that, yeah really good um and it's super encouraging for me to hear i'm sure it is for you man that we're not the only ones who feel that way like of course pastors would be eager to get people back together um for us to gather again and kind of be the church physically together again. But it, it does good to my heart and soul to hear that the body feels that way too. Yeah, exactly. And I think even, even to this question about the Lord's supper is what I appreciated about you. We, we, us kind of renaming our Sunday time as the living room liturgy is it is not a virtual worship gathering because we are that, that is kind of a corporate spiritual discipline that the Lord has given us, but we are not able to participate in to the best of our ability so we're gonna you know kind of kind of do something a little differently to get us some time in the word get us some time in prayer but it's it's very much family-based and not the not the ideal Mm. Um, so i think we we long to to be back together singing and it'll be a joy to hear all the voices and um, sit underneath the word together and pray together and um, yeah yeah, no doubt. Cool. Well, thank you guys for uh, uh, submitting questions. Um, it, we're we're going to keep doing this as long as we do the living room liturgies, and maybe we'll even figure out a way to do it beyond that. And um, we hope this is helpful and clarifying for you. Uh, thanks for listening. We will talk to you next time.